Welcome to Self-Compassionate Professor, a career wellness podcast for mid-career and recovering academics who want more. More meaning, balance, rest, joy, and more clarity. Our motto here is no regrets. So glad you're here. Welcome, welcome. This is episode 135, and I'm Danielle Delamar. Thank you so much for joining today. Enrollment for the sabbatical program is still ongoing. We close enrollment on October 5th. And the purpose of the sabbatical program is to tap into your inner wisdom and the collective wisdom of the group so that paving a career path that supports you, mind, body, and soul, what I call a self-compassionate career path, is possible. And we do this in a few ways. One, we meet consistently. We meet every Friday except for holidays in a few weeks in the summer. We practice being in our bodies. (laughs) And I know that might sound strange, but it's true that we often aren't in our bodies when we are going about our days. So in the weekly meetings, we actually practice being in our own bodies, right? So we can get practice being connected to our inner wisdom and get practice being connected to our inner wisdom even when we're with other people. So that when you show up to faculty meetings or you show up to teaching, you're in your body. And when you're in your body, your focus broadens. Your focus also deepens. You notice things you wouldn't otherwise notice. You solve problems with much greater ease. You set boundaries with greater ease. And eventually, as we do this over and over and over again for a whole year and clarify our values and clarify how we can be in integrity with our values, we begin to start leaning into healthier habits we begin to start feeling like we're in control of our time. We're processing our emotions more. And because we're processing our emotions more, we're better connected to who we are at our core and what our core values are. And when you feel healthier, when you feel more anchored, when you are more aligned to your values, You have more energy, you have more motivation, and you trust yourself more, right? You know that showing up for yourself over and over and over again is opening that portal for you to walk your self-compassionate career path, right? When you do it over and over again, you see that it works. And when you see that it works, you start to trust yourself. And the sabbatical program isn't just about the Friday meetings either. There's a community, there's a private podcast that guides you in hearing your wisdom, that guides you in anchoring your vision in good habits and good strong habits, that guides you when you get off track. So between the private podcast, the community and coaching, you will find a new career foundation. I mean, you have to be committed, of course, but you will find what you need to build the kind of career, that self-compassionate career that you want. One of my participants from the sabbatical program last year said this, Years of psychotherapy didn't lead me to the countless breakthroughs, new insights, and changes Danielle did. Creatively and brilliantly, Danielle puts together an enormous variety of resources. State-of-the-art research, therapy methods, practices, tools. It inspired, motivated, empowered, and energized me to move forward and take actions toward my well-being and career wellness. 
And then somebody else said, the sabbatical program was invaluable to me. As someone who has always questioned my place in academia, Danielle held space for our group to come together, question our academic socialization, push back, detoxify, and consider alternatives. Whether you know you're leaving academia or you know you're staying, the sabbatical program helps you to build the foundation you need to build the career you actually want, right? We all wanna feel better. We all wanna have greater impact in the world. We all wanna matter, right? And the sabbatical program will hold you and support you in doing that work. All right, as I said, sabbatical program enrollment closes October 5th. If you wanna talk to me, talk to me. You can email me at danielle at selfcompassionateprofessor.com. You know, just shoot me a few questions if you have them. I'm also happy to set up a 20 minute consult if you wanna talk about whether or not the program's right for you. Or if you know you wanna do it, just register. Go to selfcompassionateprofessor.com. Don't forget the .com. And then click on sabbatical program. You can um, register right there. All right, October 5th is your deadline. And now I want to switch gears and introduce you to Elizabeth McDonald and Dr. Emily Martin. This is the first time I've done an interview with two people. And it was super fun, by the way. And the interview is so interesting because it's so focused on collaboration and process and relationships. What Elizabeth and Emily seem to advocate in my mind is finding your way, finding your why in a fun way right? A way that is connected to other people in a way that is process oriented. That's really what I got from this interview. Just that reminder to be more deeply connected to my humanity and especially to be more deeply connected like that when you're going through something heavy like career crisis. All right, you're going to love this interview. Here is Elizabeth and Emily now. They are the founders of M2 Connect. Thank you, thank you for joining our conversation today. I'm talking to Dr. Emily Martin and Elizabeth McDonald, founders of EM2 Connect and Higher Ed Faculty. And that sounded really weird, Higher Ed Faculty. We were in the beginning, trying to figure out how we wanted to sort of announce the two of you in terms of your academic titles, and it came out a little awkward, I think. Um, So you tell us how you're doing, tell us about what you do in academia, and then we'll get into this conversation more. Sure. I'm Elizabeth McDonald, um, and first of all, thank you, Danielle, for having us on the podcast. We're both huge fans. I'm going to gush just for a moment. <laughs> Fangirl as, 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 yeah. as I may. Um, but I'm Elizabeth McDonald. I'm Canadian and I am on faculty at the University of Toronto Faculty of Music. And um, we had this discussion before about what my title was, but I'm not a full-time tenure track professor. So we have weird titles in Canada, so it's not a deal. Um, So I teach uh, voice at the Faculty of Music, and I am with Emily, a co-founder of EM2 Connect, which is an artist facilitation service um, working to help artists find their mission and vision and and basically have a better life. And we're going to get into it, um, but I'm going to toss it to Emily so she can get talking too, so... Thanks, Elizabeth. And yes, thanks, Danielle, for having us. Yeah, I've listened to so many of your podcasts, and it's so exciting to actually be on the podcast. So I appreciate it very much. Yeah. Um, So my name is Dr. Emily Martin. I am an associate professor at Bucknell University in Pennsylvania. 
Um, so I am actually a tenured professor and done the tenure track thing, which is a little different than Elizabeth. Um, and I came to academia pretty late. I did not get my doctorate, did not go back to school to get my doctorate until I was 34. So it's a whole new world for me after performing um, consistently before that as a classical singer. Um, but EM2 Connect was this wonderful project that Elizabeth and I started during the pandemic in hopes of not actually leaving academia, at least not yet, but at least supporting people in academia and also showing other creatives what is possible out there. Mm, okay. So um, one of the things that I was really struck by in our Zoom conversation that we had a couple weeks ago was that you talk a lot about sort of how <laughs> the structures of um, sort of the world of music are crumbling all around us. And um, <laughs> there's like this different way that we need to show up in the world if we are in the world of music. And I, I guess I wanna just start by saying that really hit me because, you know, in sort of the coaching field, we talk about how systems and structures are crumbling everywhere, all over the place. And culturally, like we need to start talking about new ways of being because we just can't stay attached to these these systems anymore, the, or the, these structures anymore. Um, so I guess I want to just say that um, because your message is um, is more universal than it might seem to some people who, who are listening on the podcast. So they're they're like, oh, this this is about this is for people who are in music. But it's not. This right. is a very universal message. And I just want to make sure we we talk about that right up front. I, I say yeah. that right up front. Yeah. Um, so we talked about like last time we chatted about this sort of 19th century model of music. Your thing was it's not working for anybody anymore. Um, and so we need to let's unpack that. What is the 19th century model? And how is it not working for people at this point? Sure, I'll, uh, it's Elizabeth here, I'll unpack that to start. Um, so, so what happens in academia and in a conservatory style program is that the focus is on um, building excellence, and I'm using that term purposefully in this moment, um, building excellence in the skills of a musician or an artist. Um, and so that is like the actual skills to be a pianist or be a string player or be a singer. And so everything that you do while you're in that process is about taking you from the raw material that you are and putting you on a stage as a soloist or a member of an orchestra. And that's great. And that works. We know that that process works, but as the world has changed, the, um, the market in which those opportunities happen has changed. However, the training hasn't changed. And by the market, I mean there's a pipeline for artists that come out of their academic training or their conservatory style program. And they come out of that and then they have this moment of being a young artist and sort of working through the ranks. Um, I always liken it to sort of mentoring or um, yeah, mentoring uh, or doing an internship similar to like a plumber or an electrician. You have to do so many hours in your training and mentorship. And then once you're done, you're a professional, you go out in the world and you, you um, at work as an active uh, musician or artist or dancer or whatever. But the problem is, is that there's fewer of those opportunities. There's more artists coming into the business and into the industry. There's fewer opportunities, there's less money. And so of course, then the workforce is diluted. But as we do that, academia is not responding quick enough or at all in some cases to the needs of those, those uh, musicians and artists being trained. And so that was the pain point from which we started this whole business was we need to change that conversation for artists because if they think the only thing that brings them success is whether or not they stand on stage as a soloist and maybe 1% of every trained musician and artist 
where a dancer is able to do that, has their own show, whatever, then that means 99% of people that go through this amazing art form, whatever their choice is, um, is a failure. I don't think that's acceptable because I don't think that's true, but that's the inner dialogue. And so how do we, how do we create a healthier, healthier way of, of going there? Oh my gosh. So let me just say really quickly that this sounds just like academia, right? Like fewer opportunities for work. You think all you have to do is move through the ranks and then you have no job. Uh, so yeah, I'm sorry. Go well, ahead. No, but there's a reason why I'm not a full-time academic, right? Mm. I've experienced both of these pipelines actually. Um, and that's what makes this really interesting. And so has Emily. And that, again, is why we're so we've become so passionate about this. Um, Emily, do you want to add to what I said? No, I think you said it really well. I, I do think it's funny, Danielle, I thought exactly the same thing. I'm like, oh, it's academia. Just exactly. <laughs> the, you know, and I and I think it's it's frustrating. I mean, for instance, I uh, my title um, in my doctorate was doctor of voice performance and pedagogy. I had one class to learn how to teach young singers. And so I think most of us who get doctorates or PhDs have very little experience during our degree of learning how to teach. But then we're put into these situations where we have to excel at that. Um, and so similarly to music or the arts, you might do some shows, you might do some auditions, but you really aren't equipped to go into the world. And so it is, it's a skill issue. And I think a big part of what Elizabeth and I don't want to do is just walk away completely from academia. I think that could be one of the answers, but I think we're really, it's important for us to, to have a have some influence on what is happening in academia right now and how we might be able to change that. So we kind of have one foot in both worlds. So talk about the influence. Um, God, there's so many things I want to ask. Uh, <laughs> and I feel like part of me wants to go back and ask you the backstory, but um, I'm going to, I'm going to just follow this for now and then I'll ask you some backstory stuff. Um, what kind of influence are you, um, trying to have on academia as an institution? Like what are some of the things you're doing? And then the second question is, what are you doing in sort of the world of music to have an influence? Yeah, and I think as most of us as academics know that if you have an influence on one student, you have an influence on everybody. And so I think initially for me, at least, it started out recognizing, and I'm at a liberal arts university, so it started out recognizing that most of the students who come into my studio and come into Bucknell are not actually there to have full-time careers as singers, but they still need to know the value of their art. They still need to understand that they can be artists no matter who they are or what they do. And so I interweave it within my own personal studio. I'm lucky to be able to have a huge amount of influence on the singers and the musicians that I interact with every day by just having different classes, learning how to write their artistic philosophies um, and their lessons. I mean, lessons are one-on-one -on -one activities. So, and further to that, what I did this year is I'm actually in the Netherlands right now on a Fulbright Scholar Award, purposefully studying a program at the Royal Conservatory at The Hague that is a major for students when it comes to this innovative performance and new audiences. So the things that we see that academia in the United States needs to do is actually being practiced in a degree program over here in Europe. So, so I can't necessarily have a huge influence on academia yet, except for my personal students, until I have more of that training, which is what I'm trying to do now. And so then to, to answer the second part of your question is what are we doing outside? Um, I want Elizabeth to talk a little bit about this, but essentially where this started is we had students graduating who said, what do I do next? Because they weren't given those skills in academia. And so we started this business essentially during COVID because we saw these singers floundering because they had absolutely no idea what to do during COVID, but also no idea what to do after they graduated. So we run one-on-one um, -on -one mentorships. We run group collectives where people learn from each other. We run um, opportunities for people and students, both mid-career and new, new graduated students to learn how to write their artistic values and philosophies and then how to apply that to any kind of project they want to do. Um, we do a whole variety of things and really we 
we focus a lot on what the client needs. So we had a client two days ago who we met with that wants just accountability and how to fit all of the things they want to do for their scholarship together. So we're providing accountability and just a sounding board for how to do that. Elizabeth, do you want to add to any of that? Sure. My situation is a little bit different than Emily's. I teach at a, very, at a huge university and a massive faculty of music where the voice area where I'm in has 15 faculty members and we each have a studio of anywhere from 10 to 20 singers. And we see each of those singers each week one-on-one -on -one for an hour. So I can at any given moment have anywhere from 10 to 20 singers that I'm having that influence on one-on-one -on -one each week. And I'll have those undergrads specifically for four years. I'll see them, I'll track them and teach them for four years. So my influence is very, very much in that personal sphere and in that sort of elite training sphere. And because we're a large institution and because we are conservatory style training, which means we are intense in performance, I feel it's really important to not only talk the talk of thinking broader for a career, but also to walk that walk. So as a professional singer can, you know, I have sang all through this time up until COVID and then the world shut down. Um, but I've also been an entrepreneur and started different initiatives. Emily and I and another colleague have started a, had started a performing uh, trio where we traveled the world and, and commissioned music, um, new music by female composers, which is an underserved um, opportunity. Um, we've written grants for ourselves. We've written grants for other people. We've, we've explored the different potential avenues, not all of them, but some of them. Um, and so I really feel like my example is really important to these young, especially young women. Plus for me too, I was doing a lot of this with small kids. I think as a woman, that's really important to show because a lot of my colleagues don't have kids or they're male or whatever, right? So I think that there's that element. Um, so that is my personal influence, I feel, at the academic level, because I don't have a professor position, I don't get to sit at those tables. But because we've started this and we've done a lot of other initiatives, um, even before EM2Connect, that is where I think that that influence comes in the networking with having these conversations with colleagues and, and, and students. Um, so, so just within that, I think it's important to understand too, when we are talking about artist training, all of us have an influence on that one-on-one -on -one piece. That is not something that all academics get in, in other, other areas mm -hmm. for sure. So, and I guess I just want to, I want to, I don't know, offer context because I remember you really spending some time with me when we were on the Zoom call last time, sort of explaining mm -hmm. just how mentor sort of intense the the music training is at, at a university. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. They it's like it's like it's like they own you. <laughs> Between <laughs> September and April for me, it's like everything is getting this student prepared for all the things because it's not even because the other part as an artist or as a musician is that, you know, if you have a fourth year kid that's graduating, it's not just preparing them for their academic stuff. It's preparing them for their career. That's the expectation for us, right? Is that what's their next step? So that is also now piled onto your academic piece if they're looking for careers, right? So then you have to be an expert at what, like the career management, what's the next step? What's going to get you in the door for your next audition, what's going to get you in the door for your next job, all that kind of stuff. And that's at the undergrad level, right? So, okay. And, yeah. and you know what, I, what it's making me think of is um, when I was, um, when I was a professor, when I was in academia, I would, you know, if students wanted to talk career, I'd be like, hey, I'd go to the career center. And so many of us um, as professors do that, right? I, I remember always doing the whole, like, this is your education. You can train for your job later, or you can figure out your job later. You really need to just be invested in your education for now. Yeah, no, we don't have a career center, right? Uh -huh. so I'm the career center, or my uh -huh. colleague down the hall is the career center. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Yeah. I, so. Well, I mean, I guess the reason I brought it up is that I think we all should be doing that, right? right. Like, uh, uh, yeah. like to just send your student to the career center and not really even have an idea of what they might be able to do because you've been in academia your whole life and you have no idea yeah, <laughs> yourself, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, it, it, it's important that we all do that. And I think that's part of the reason academics struggle um, when they when they sort of they're in career crisis because, because they, they have never else. thought about it because they've just been yeah. working through the this this academic pipeline and have yeah. never thought to do anything different. But right. the two of you have a much broader sort of experience, um, and so that feels like a really important piece I want to ask about. So. Um, <laughs> Tell me how uh, your own education felt sort of wanting, like, did you feel the way many of your students do? Like, ah, now what do I do? Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think as a, as a performance, as a performing artist of any sort, because I just want to also clarify that if you're training in theater, if you're training in an in instrument and even in visual art, a lot of what we're talking about is really similar. So it's really any artist. But I think that um, every artist has that moment, even if you mm -hmm. are world class and so something like COVID comes along or, you know, the Met is, you know, not hiring as much and they're hiring. They're, every single artist has that question at some point. Um, I was really lucky because I, I, I had a fair amount of work um, after I graduated from my artist diploma. Um, and so I was a professional singer for about 15 years before I went back and got my doctorate, which I never thought I would do. Um, and I think to go back to what you were also saying, Danielle, is that, yes, we have to all be the career centers for our students, because until we understand what they are going to do when they walk out the door, that we have to change our teaching. We have to constantly change our teaching. And because we have to understand what they're up against and we have to give them those tools. Um, so that's a huge part of my education is continuing to do the thing. So my students see me doing it and I know what they're going to experience once they walk out the door. And if I can just add the, the world of classical music and singing specifically when Emily and I were coming out of school was a very, very different climate than it is now. Mm -hmm. It, it's very different. And that's one of the one of the challenges is that I feel like I was very well trained as an artist and as a singer and I had all the tools and I was able to do the next step and the next step. But where I didn't have the training or the skills was any of the thinking about the broader picture of yourself as a business or an entrepreneur and how to think about all the other levels of not just working in your business, but working on your business on the broader concept of career planning and what's how to make those next steps. And then because now this pipeline for artists has changed and not just within the singing world, within all of the arts worlds, um, that's, that's where the, again, like I said, the pain point of starting to have different conversations now, because our experience wasn't really the same, so. Okay. And um, I guess I'm wondering about um, what one of you said, I can't remember who, but, uh, you know, just this understanding or the sense, I think it was Elizabeth, um, that everybody can be an artist, no matter who mm -hmm. they are, no matter what they do. Yeah. What are the things that people um, run into where they're like, oh, I, I, I'm not an artist because I'm da 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 da, or I'm da 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 da. You know, what are the issues that people bring to you <laughs> that make them feel they're not artists anymore? Mm -hmm. Well, I think a huge part is outside approval, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you're not getting approval from outside, specifically being paid to sing, and in the singing world, and I don't know if this is in any other world, I'm sure it's in the arts world, there are a lot of things we call pay to sings, which essentially you pay somebody to let you sing in their company. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. It's a scam <laughs> beyond all scams, but we really, you know, all singers and artists are looking to have that outside approval. And so you will twist yourself into so many knots and pieces, just trying to get that outside approval. And when you're not getting it and not getting it and not getting it, it's so easy to think that what you're doing has no value. 
But until you look inside and you understand that the value comes from what you believe and what you think is artistic and what you think is valuable and important to say, that's when you start understanding that the art is not about the outside influence, but it's about what you need and what you want. And then actually what happens is then you start getting people to listen to you. But the more you twist yourself in knots for that approval, and I think a lot of people also do this when they're looking for tenure in any field, you mm -hmm. know, the more you twist yourself into knots looking for that approval, the worse it gets and the harder it is to find what is actually true and important. Oh, yeah, that's so good. That's so good. I feel like I just want to pause and let people digest that because <laughs> I feel like so many people in academia are in exactly that struggle right now. And I love the imagery of twisting yourself into knots to get the approval because that's real and it hurts. And like, oh. like, right, like on a physical level, it's, um, it hurts to have mm -hmm. to do that. I just want to say one more thing to that. The, the problem with doing that, especially in academia, is you twist yourself into so many knots and then you get the tenure, right? You get the ultimate thing. And then what do you do? Right. Mm -hmm. How do you find the thing that really gives you pleasure and excitement? Because mm -hmm. you've spent so long trying to be somebody else's to get somebody else's approval. And then and then I think that's a, another reason why mid-career academics are so banging their heads against walls because they don't know what to do next because they have never been able to ask themselves that question. Mm -hmm. So. Do you have some um, advice, some some tools, <laughs> some things that you would have us ask ourselves or things that you'd have us do to think about that question? Um, sure. I mean, we, we have a lot of things that we use in our coaching. And the first thing I'll say is um, I ha we have a, a, a worksheet that's called the the why, the question of why. And so we ask our clients to first identify five artists that really speak to them. Hmm. And that's, you know, it's a, it's, it's a, it's hard for a lot of people, especially when you're looking outside of what you actually do as an artistic form. And then we ask them after that to look at those five artists and identify why you like each of those artists. Hmm. And what is that? And so it could be freedom. It could be excitement. It could be, you know, working against the the machine, it could be whatever it is for you. And then we ask them to take all of that knowledge and distill it down to some words that really mean a lot to them and then start to see what that line is between all of those words. So start understanding what you like. Again, we are never asked that either as academics or artists. What do mm. you like and why do you like it? Because none of us are ever asked to have language around what we like. We just know, oh, we like that. We like this. We like this. But why do you like it? Mm -hmm. And so once you start understanding why you like something, you start really honing in on who you are as a person, what is valuable to you, who do you want to reach, what kind of community do you want to reach, what kind of audience do you want to reach, and then what do you want to say? Because until you get all of that together, it, it, it's almost impossible to understand what your next step is. Okay. And this is what you all were talking about previously about finding your artistic values and philosophy. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. yes. Mm -hmm. So I, I wonder what it is that brought the two of you together. Um, you know, speaking in terms of these shared sort of values, um, what, what are, I guess we can guess based on the context of this conversation, but what are your shared values that, that keep you two together? And cause you've been working together for a really long time. Yeah. Yes, we have. Yeah, we, we met, actually, we, we really only met about 10 years ago, which seems like a long time, but also seems like it was just overnight. Um, and I think honestly, one of the shared values was we're both sort of driver personalities. We ask a lot of questions um, Emily more so than me, I'll just say that. Um, and we we always are working, and I, and part of it is is that we've been trained to figure out how to be the best at what we do as singers, and that just kept applying to every everything we 
we're trying and you know you try things and you and when you fail at it it really is hard and so we've done things together where we failed really badly together and uh, different projects and things like that and and I think it's just that we feel we we have a good energy together and we think a little bit differently um, within that uh, driver mentality of like what's next what's next what's next and how can we make this better and and applying that then to either young singers that we work with or our colleagues that come to us with with wanting support we just seem to have I don't know an ability to to well, I also, derive in different ways I don't know Emily's gonna yeah. like jump in <laughs> No, well, I just want to add that I just want to add that I think also both of us are tired of the pipeline. We lived in yes. the pipeline so much, and I mean, we we go back to the academic idea is that I am the only person in my department who actually had a career for a long time before I came, I came to academia, which mm. is so foreign to me. I'm like, well, then you need that to teach, right? And so that's already seen as this odd thing. And so I came to academia with a already this a sort of, I don't know, stamp on my back that said, you're not a really an academic. Um, and so, and I think Elizabeth also is a professional singer and doing a lot of that kind of professional stuff. And I think more than anything, we just um, don't want to be a cog in the machine, neither of us. And we said, what can we do that serves us, serves our family, and we like doing? And that's actually where our professional trio started. And then this came from that. Mm -hmm. And so everything you're doing just feels so collaborative, so supportive. Um, we work really like, hard at it. Yeah, go ahead. Well, <laughs> I, and also as a musician, everything you do, unless you're a solo pianist, you do collaboratively. You can't, mm. as a singer, we can't stand on stage and do our job without a collaborator of some sort or another. And so it seems like a really natural thing to just be on Zoom constantly collaborating, <laughs> right? Because that's basically what the last two and a half years have been is just being on Zoom constantly and figuring things out and collaborating with other artists to, like, I think for me personally, my biggest excitement is more about, it's not about my work as like my progression professionally. It's about the excitement of like, you know, writing the perfect grant with you know, an arts organization to be able to say, speak their values so that they can say what they need to say in the community or working with an individual artist who really wants to produce an event that says something about them and their community. That to me is the most exciting work. What I get from it is the excitement and, you know, usually we get paid, so that's good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that idea of like, that's, that's, that's how that's what collaboration is and I think that that's the core of of Emily and I working together plus also we we kind of like each other most days and that works out really well too <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but I think you know if people are looking for a collaborator something to point out is that there's also a lot of differences between us so you have to find oh, yeah. something so I mean the biggest one is she's Canadian and I'm American so we call it the good cop and bad cop Right. And so I'm always <laughs> one that, you know, will say what I think. Um, and I also, you know, Elizabeth is one of the best teachers of voice in Canada, like completely sought after. And I'm much more interested in the artistic philosophy and finding that kind of that's why I'm on the Fulbright, not necessarily teaching voice. Right. And so we I teach at a liberal arts school. She teaches at a conservatory. So I think what also we do is we bring together viewpoints from different places mm -hmm. and we realize that both are valuable. And we can use both of them to even get our message farther out there. So I am thinking so much now about uh, the power of community. And I'm thinking about the work um, you, you've described your work as like creating collectives and creating mentoring and people need to talk to each other. And um, I'm wondering what you've seen um, I don't know, some examples or, or whatever, where you've seen the collaboration lead to something very real and very tangible for people um, to get to know themselves better, to be more successful in their work, whatever it is. What is it about the community and collaboration that really does the trick? 
in your mind? Oh, we're, we're, <laughs> we're both like, which one of us is answering this question? Sorry. <laughs> um, so, so right off the bat, um, we started an online community because everything was shut down and, and, you know, especially singers, I'm going to bring it back to singers. We mostly are extroverts and we, and I'm definitely in this duo, the extrovert, Emily's not, but we're mostly extroverts and we mostly, you know, we get energy from people being around us. And so the idea of like being locked in our houses for me was just like terrible. Um, and so having a community, which we then started online and we started to produce like events to discuss some of the issues that were happening in our in our broader community and bringing people together was so incredibly motivating and exciting at a time when everything felt terrible. Um, and so through that community, um, we called it from the voice of, we've morphed that now as we've all started to sort of move back outside, but through that community and making connections with people, it felt like the world got a little bit smaller and we felt like we were able to share resources through the pandemic, especially. Um, but what was really cool was watching one of some of our clients who were part of the community connect with each other and create their own initiatives. Um, one client would invite another client to speak on one of their um, events at that opera company or, you know, used somebody else as a singer in a production they were doing or, 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 and it just kind of went like that. And then adding our own um, like students into the mix that we were teaching either in undergrad or grad school or that we were teaching privately, being able to make those connections, that to me is like, that is like the best high ever is to <laughs> is to create those connections with and for people so that they can, like I said before, so they can go and do what they want to do because they found their voice literally and figuratively, of course. Um, so that to me is the power of community. And then we just continue that now, like now we get to go out in the world and meet people and and, uh, well, and also have live interactions. Yeah. yeah, our unofficial motto at EM2 Connect is community over competition. So yeah. as in all arts and really in all academia, it's all about competition, right? Mm -hmm. And so we, I think most academics and most academia in general does not promote community. We are constantly setting people up to compete against each other to there's only one tenure spot. So we all have to look for it or there's only one of this or one of that. And it's the same thing in the arts. And so well, the more we talked about it, the more we experienced it, it is so important that we understand, and Elizabeth is going to laugh, that there are pies out the wazoo. So there's not only 10 pieces of pie, right? Everybody's baking pie. Every piece of pie is delicious. It's all, she's making a face at me right now. We're on Zoom to make sure we don't talk over each other. But, you know, everybody has something to contribute. And so the more we recognize that every voice is important, I actually will be more successful and my client yeah. will be more successful and my student will be more successful. And so you asked for specific stories and Elizabeth gave you some really great ones, but we consistently have young singers coming to us. And a big part of what we do is we connect the people that we, that have influenced us and that we know with them. I think most people would say, well, if I connect this person, then maybe I won't get that job over here. Or I won't get this. But the best thing I can do is introduce my students and my clients and everybody that I'm working with to all the people that I know who have helped me. And that's mm. what we continue to do is just foster that community. One of the things that's hitting me is um, the fact that we, we talk, you know, in the career world about um, career development world about networking all the time. Networking is really important, but there's something that feels really different to me about networking and collaborating. Um, mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering, like, because networking feels like, and you tell me what your your thoughts are, but networking feels like you meet people, you chat with them, they let the, you let them know what you do, you find out what they do, um, you then, you know, come back when you have a question for them or they have a question for you. And maybe eventually at some point you start collaborating if that feels right. Mm -hmm. But 
Um, so I'm thinking about networking, but I'm also thinking about mentoring, which has been another topic on the podcast where it's mm -hmm. like, uh, right. You find somebody who's, who can really, you know, look over you and, and give you really good feedback and who knows the way better than you. Um, and that's a really strong relationship that you can have for years and years. Mm -hmm. And then there's the collaborator. And I don't, <laughs> think that and the collaborator to me feels much more like a peer relationship um but an but an enduring ongoing relationship um yeah. so this is how we sort of define it for us so networking to me um and i think probably to elizabeth as well you're always out to get something for yourself so you're looking to introduce yourself to people and have them introduce yourself but you're always hoping it becomes something right if Actually, we scrubbed the word mentor from our website about uh, eight or nine months ago because we did not feel uh, we already have this this problem in the arts where you have the guru who's the voice teacher or the teacher of any sort and seems to know everything. And that is something we really wanted to stop and stop hmm. this idea of us being bigger and better than people or knowing more, because, again, mm -hmm. all of these people I've worked with always teach me something. So to us, the collaborative, we now call ourselves a creative facilitation. We use the word facilitation because every single relationship we have in our realm has a different kind of relationship. So I just repeat a relationship twice, but every single person we interact with has a different relationship depending on what they need and what we need. So we really try hard to have every relationship be collaborative on some level, because again, like I said, I'll always learn something and I never want my, my students or my singers or my clients or anybody that I work with to think that I know everything. And I also don't want them to think that I'm trying to get something out of them and that everything needs to, ha to have an end point. Everything needs to come to something that I benefit from. I will Ooh. already benefit from it, but but I don't know when that is, and I don't know how that will be, and I don't know what that will actually be in the end. Mm. So the emphasis is on, this is actually, this is what I'm hearing anyway, the emphasis mm -hmm. is on the relationship, the emphasis is on the work and the ongoing process of the work, but it's mm -hmm. not just, this is just a means to some sort of end. It's like, exactly. this is yeah. the end, being together yeah. and doing the work. We actually, the work that we do in the program that we have developed, we call the process yes. because mm. the process is so much more important than the product. Yeah. And, you know, and I think somebody might challenge me and say, but the product is what pays the bills, <laughs> right? But the product will come if you are really focused on the process. Amen. And the, yeah. And the product will be so much bigger and so much, it'll have such an influence in a way that you've never even imagined if you're focused on the process. So yeah, we, the process is the king or queen, <laughs> as we would say. <laughs> I, I love that. What, okay. Well, that's a, that's a great way to sort of wrap up, but I would like to, before we fully wrap up, ask you if there's something that you still feel like you need to say to, to complete the conversation, to make it feel good in your mind. Yeah, so it looks like Elizabeth might have frozen, so I'm not even sure she's here anymore. She'll she'll come back. Um, but so oh, what, no. what I know, right? It's it, she's out. She lives out about two hours from Toronto, um, and so she's in the in the county, as we say. Um, but I know that she'll agree with me when I say <laughs> she's texting me right now. Um, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Okay. I I know that she'll agree agree with me that I want to encourage everybody to try this work. It doesn't have to be with us. I'm not here to push our work specifically, but I hope that everybody understands that there is more than where you are right now. And it is scary work. It is hard work. It actually requires you to be out of your comfort zone for a while. But when you start asking yourself, why am I here essentially? What do I want to say? Um, what, what is important for the words that I have to be out in the world? What kind of community do I want to foster? All of those kinds of things. And so I, I really want to encourage people to maybe take a step back and think about some of these questions that we are asking and encourage them to apply them to their life and, and their careers. 
Elizabeth, I know you're back now. Sorry. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so one of the things, one of the things that's been really interesting through this whole process for me personally, and I think this is relevant, is that I live in rural Ontario, which means that the internet has been um, challenged. Rural Ontario in Canada, we don't have great internet. And so when COVID hit, this was the other part that was really interesting is that I didn't have an internet connection that was fast enough to, to be able to do my job, basically. And so long story short, basically I have uh, Starlink, which is Elon Musk, and every once in a while, um, you know, that the, the uh, satellites don't talk to each other. So, <laughs> and I feel like that's part of the process, right? Sometimes we just disconnect and then we have to come back together. So, um, yeah. <laughs> we were anyway, saying, so is, there anything, yeah, is there anything that you want to wrap up with after the, the talk, the, what we've done and talked about? Um, well, we, when I when I dropped out or when the when the satellites dropped me back to Earth, um, the thing we were talking about was this process, and uh, it's it's funny because I think that that's my favorite word. That was never a word that I grew up. Um, I didn't grow up with, and I learned that through the process of teaching and through learning from my students, which is why. I think that the idea of collaboration versus mentorship or the idea of facilitation versus mentorship is so important. Um, and so my big thing is, is I challenge all of my clients and students to really think about themselves as the center of their business and that all of us that connect with them are collaborators or even just consultants and that no one person can tell them definitively anything. Ultimately, their responsibility is that. And so I think that that's a really important piece in our own coaching is that we can we can give all the suggestions we want. But at the end of the day, you get to take it and do what you feel you need with it at, at, in your time, right? We can help facilitate you to think that way, but you need to do that in your own time. And so again, I go back to this idea of process and how we really need to own that, not just as artists, but as just people and not wait for someone else to, to tell us the right way, but to like own it and do it ourselves. So. Awesome. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you both so much. Um, it's been such a fun conversation and, Oh, I guess I should ask you, where can we find you if we want to have more of a conversation about this? Sure. You can find us online. Um, our website is www.em2connect.com. Um, and you can also find us um, on Instagram at from the voice of underscore. Um, so we're from the voice of EM2 Connect. Uh, those are the two places. We're also on Facebook um, from the voice of. Um, and feel free to DM us or email us at connect, uh, connect at em2connect.com if you have any questions or you want to collaborate and chat. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. It was Thank such you. a pleasure having you here. Thank so you, Danielle. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Self-Compassionate Professor. Find me on LinkedIn at Danielle Delamar, on Twitter and Instagram at Danielle SC Prof, or schedule a free coaching consult at selfcompassionateprofessor.com. Be well. Be well.